0: I'm Lindsay Moore, and welcome to my podcast, In Conversation with SMEs, or Seriously Motivated Entrepreneurs. Founder of Agnes Marketing, I'm a business development and marketing advisor to small businesses. In challenging times like these, we need to support our small businesses more than ever. So my aim through this podcast is to bring inspiration, motivation and energy to those looking to start, scale or pivot their business by hearing the stories of others who have been brave, followed their heart, kept their nerve and achieved something quite remarkable. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking to my favourite small businesses and acclaimed entrepreneurs and asking them about their highs, their lows, their wish had knowns, and what single piece of advice they would give themselves now if they were starting out. It was a joy and a privilege to speak to Rachel Clacker CBE for this episode of In Conversation With. Rachel is someone who has inspired me for many years by the values, belief, and commitment she has in using business as a genuine force for good. Back in 2000, based on a big idea and £10,000, Rachel and her brother founded Moneypenny. Today, it is the world's leading provider of telephone answering, outsourced switchboard and live chat services with offices in the US as well as the UK. Chances are you'll have spoken to a Moneypenny PA without even realising it. The team of over 750 handle over 15 million customer interactions annually on behalf of their clients, who range from Magic Circle Law Firms, the British Veterinary Association and Instagram influencers such as Joe Wicks, the Body Coach. As someone who believes fundamentally that business is a force for good, Rachel is committed to developing the agenda on subjects that she's passionate about, including customer service, culture, entrepreneurship, opportunities for all, coaching and corporate social responsibility. Moneypenny's driving ambition has always been to make a difference rather than just make money. But in doing this, they have become more profitable and more robust than any of their competitors. Rachel has said, What people want from their leaders or managers is genuine concern. Known as the happiest place in the land, Moneypenny is in the top 20 Sunday Times best companies to work for. In 2014, Rachel brought Moneypenny's unique approach to people development to a whole new cohort with the establishment of We Mind the Gap which gives new opportunities in life and work to unemployed, underserved young people through providing totally holistic paid traineeships. The first traineeship proved so successful with 70% of all participants moving into full-time work or education. The programme run, now runs across four locations in North Wales and the Northwest, with plans to expand to 16 traineeships by 2023. Rachel has said... I strongly believe in doing the right thing, treating people well and providing ongoing support. This is not about ticking boxes. It's about businesses and communities and helping young people who are operating within a system that often doesn't communicate. In this interview, Rachel talks openly and candidly about the journey she's been on going from a two person startup to a multinational business the challenges they have encountered early on, getting a bank to support them and why quality and getting the small things right has always been more important to Penny than growth. I always felt it would work, but only because of our commitment to our service. And then the money came later, she says. Rachel, it's lovely, really lovely to have to talk to you this afternoon. It's a real treat. Thank you for being here. <laughs> it's great to be here virtually. It's lovely. I'm really interested to talk to you about MoneyPenny and the journey you've been on. So, for those people who may not know MoneyPenny, back in 2000, you armed with £10,000 and a big idea, yourself and your brother Ed set up MoneyPenny, which is um, now the world's leading provider of telephone answering, outsourced switchboard and live chat services across the UK and America, and. I'd just like to know what did you do before it? You know, how did you start it? Um, well basically, you know, pre-Money
1: Penny, I had had a career in, in marketing in film and PR and um and and marketing the arts. And my brother and I lived fairly close to each other and we kind of supported each other in our individual businesses. And Ed, my brother, had a, a business called Art Graphics, and he did flags and banners and you know vehicle graphics and things like that um and basically he'd, he'd done an awful lot of windsurfing and out of that he'd ended up getting into you know branding at sports events and then doing flags and banners for councils and things and you know so so big organizations that he was working for and essentially they were organizations that would have had a blue fit if they'd realized he was working from his back bedroom Because so it certainly wasn't as acceptable then as it is now you know just to be a, a woman yeah. and um and he had a real problem in his business um and that was that he couldn't be in answering his calls as well as being out sticking up his flags and banners and vehicle graphics um and so we you know as we support each other with, with our individual businesses we often had a chat about you know other people must have this problem why you know how do they solve it um and then through that we ended up actually finding having to go and look for and find a telephone answering service so we found a service based down south um, and they did an absolutely you know a great job Fred um, to the extent that he he eventually felt able to go away on holiday because he was running, running his own business so so what what you know the way it worked was that just using standard BT features he could divert his phone when his phone was engaged or unanswered to this business in Newbury I think it was in um and they would answer the phone and say, "Good morning, Art Graphics. How can I help you?" And then the person at the end of the phone would, pop, you know, say, "Hi, Ed, Joe Blogs here." Um, and then they would take a message and they would fax this through back to Ed's office. So while Ed, because this is the days before internet, and you know, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it's long yeah. twenty years ago, but it was only twenty years ago. Um, yeah. Anyway Um, then that worked so brilliantly for Ed because he felt that he could be out doing his work and then when he came back all of his messages were sitting there waiting for him on his fax machine off he goes on holiday to Greece windsurfing, I'm meant to be responsible for his office Um, I screw up and forget to fill the fax machine with paper Um, one of his biggest, I don't know you'll remember or anybody who's my age will remember that fax machines used to ring out when they'd run out of paper at the other end So one of his clients is trying to fax through a reorder um, and it was kind of a life changing order for Ed at that time. um, Trying to fax through a reorder. Fax machine was ringing out. The client rings the office, gets diverted to the telephone answering service. Good morning, Art Graphics. How can I help you? Can you please fix your fax machine because it's run out of paper? Oh, I can't do that because I'm only telephone answering service. So really, you know, I mean, a story that, that still happens today a million times a day is it? And people not being helpful at the end of the phone. Um, and um, but then, you know, so Ed, not terribly happy, frantic calls me, Rachel, get, get back to the office. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, he lost this big order um and you know after that there ensued a load of nights around our kitchen table over bottles of wine asking the question why can't there be a telephone auction service where the person who looks after your calls is someone that you know and trust you know someone that adds value to your business and it was such a simple idea and we just couldn't work out why that couldn't be the case um and then we you know did a bit more research and realized that nobody else had asked that question nobody else was was offering you know everybody who was in that space and there are you know loads of businesses that do that look after telephone calls um, were actually saw themselves as technology businesses rather than people businesses um, and so we thought well great let's let's set up an, uh, a service where the person who looks after your calls is someone that you you know that you know and you trust and who who adds value so it was a really simple idea we knew nothing about telephones we knew nothing about um, setting up a business we knew nothing about all sorts of things, but the only thing that the only thing that we knew was how it felt to be a client. And I think that was the most important thing to know. Because it meant that we approached the whole, you know, the whole thing of setting up this business from a people angle. You know, if we were a client, so we, you know, we, we wrote lots of lists. What would we want if we were a client Were you know, working for Money Penny, working with Money What would we want if we were um, a member of the team working for Money Penny? And what we wanted, if we were a supplier to Penny. so we wrote these lists, and we set up the business to answer those lists essentially.
0: And and it was it just the two of you in the business from the start? So were you actually taking the calls?
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. I mean, we <clears throat> we had um, we had no money, so we say we had ten thousand pounds. We might have had fifteen thousand pounds. I don't know. We were looking down the back of an awful lot of sofas um, at the time, <laughs> and. So, yeah, I mean, it, this wasn't a matter of raising, you know, raising finance and whatever. We had a £16,000 overdraft from NatWest Bank. Um, we had, um, a loan from, um, our, our aunt, an aunt, um, who loaned us £16,000 and we had £10,000 of our own savings and we, um, so, the loan from Die, our aunt, was, you know, we insisted that was paid back on commercial terms. Um, and obviously, the overdraft is on commercial terms of the bank. And um, so, you know, we had to keep it very, very simple. We had to grow very slowly. Um, and I, in my previous life working for in arts marketing, had done a load of um, database work for theatres. So, I actually spoke to somebody who'd done a database, uh, some, I'd done some database work with, said, you know, Rob, can you write us a database? a piece of access software. I didn't know anything about a software um, that that can do X, Y, and Z. And he said, yeah, I think so. So um, he did that. Um, We bought a very basic telephone answering system and, you know, somehow we made it work. But literally in the first days, yeah, I would be, the system would recognize a number that somebody was calling in on. So basically we gave every client their own number. We still do. So a system would recognize that it was from Lindsay Moore or, you know, whatever. And you'd answer it in the company name. And then literally in the first days we were typing up a message and going over to the fax you know, faxing it through to our clients. And then, of course, that, that became more and more. That, that was very, very early on. And then we as we could inform, afford to invest in our software, we could then put the calls through to our clients. So we weren't just taking messages. We were actually acting as a receptionist for them. And so it's developed. And But the, the best thing that ever happened to us, I think, was having no money because. What that meant was that we had to, we couldn't afford to buy software, so we had to write our own software, and we ended up, you know, we learned so much along the way. But we ended up, um, Rob, who was who wrote the software for us, you know, he actually had the rights to that software, you know, which seems bizarre to me that that someone you commission holds the rights to it. So we actually, he kept his original price um, for the project in the first instance. Although that he spent an extraordinary, you know, much more time on it than than we could afford to pay for, but then a few years later we actually bought the rights to that software from him. Um, so hopefully in the round he got, yeah, you know what he needed for his um, for his efforts because he was amazing. Um, but also it meant that we were absolutely in control of our own destiny because we ma- we manage the software that's sat at the heart of what we do. And I and I don't mean to. You know, we needed that software to, to be really quick and efficient and right so that our people could be amazing.
0: And that and it's it sounds such an obvious thing to say that. But now in 2020, but in tw- 2000, that was a very progressive, I mean, a lot of people were just getting on email and you know to I me mean? was that really very, that was a very innovative approach to setting up a new business you obviously knew that technology well no well we didn't we just had to i mean look, luckily
1: ed's brain works in that way so he could actually he took on the whole technology piece um and you know and his brain still does. you know still does thankfully it's so much so complex now i've got no idea But at that time, we we completely underestimated how important technology was going to be. We just thought, you know, it's simple. We just buy a phone system. Um, And and I just think it was really lucky that we couldn't afford to buy the software that would accompany that. Because had we done that, we would have been tied into someone else's software. We wouldn't have been able to afford afford it, afford to grow. We wouldn't be masters of our own destiny because by owning it, we've managed to bolt on bits over the years so now we've got this extraordinary platform that we operate on, of which I understand nothing. Um, but it does, you know, now we're managing, you know, we're managing 50,000, 60,000 calls a day and that number of live chats a day at the moment. And, and it's all managed on one platform that started off. And we call it Rita, but it started off as this tiny thing way back, you know, when, when it was just the two of us. Wow. So, Yeah. So, so I, I, you know, it, it worries me that all these, there's so much talk, isn't there, about seed funding for businesses and whatever. And absolutely, I, you know, I get that, but there is something about scarcity, you know, driving innovation and, you know, necessity making people be creative and be more, um, more resourceful. Because um, certainly, had we had more money, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had that opportunity to, to have our own software.
0: And. I mean, literally going from yourself and Ed taking calls and running over to the fax machine and then putting putting the messages through the fax. How how were those first few years? I mean, how how do, how do you go from that to how long was it before you employed somebody and how how did you find those early years getting funding or backing or because that's fascinating to me how you go well,
1: from. No, nobody would lend us any money you know we didn't have a track record we had nothing um but what so we realized that um our pricing model had to support our lack of funds um and so we looked at how mobile phone companies were charging for their services which is basically they charge you a you know as we know they charge you a rate for the month to come but then they charge you in arrears for the month that's just gone on for, that, that's just gone on anything over and above your standard package. So we adopted that, and what that allowed us to do, and then we we actually invoiced every day of the month. So we had yeah. money coming in every single day. So every day, you know, my job was to look at the invoices, send them out.
0: Oh, that's a great get, idea.
1: So so we had cash flow every you know coming yeah. in. You know, so it was a monthly income from every client, um, and. That was you know vitally important um because as I say you know we had no funds and then we just grew organically so as as we had money in the bank you know we we would not spend one penny that we didn't have um we would then recruit another p a um she would be she or he you know would be able to take on more clients those new clients would then take their would then um Pay their bills, and then we could afford to. Rec- we could then afford to do a bit more marketing. So we had a marketing formula. It was all direct mail in those days. So we knew that if we sent out X pieces of direct mail, we'd get Y return. We'd invest in the marketing, and then we'd be able to recruit another PA, and then she'd be able to take on more clients. And we literally grew like that organically for for 20, well, I mean, essentially for twenty years, for eighteen years, yeah. Without without borrowing one penny from anybody.
0: So I found that really interesting when you said you invoice every day because to be honest that's quite an eye opener for me because the in my experience, the majority of businesses all wait till month end and they send them all they send all the invoices out but that's a game changer from a cash flow perspective isn't it because if you invoice someone at the beginning of the month and the thirty days like you still get it at the end of the month when you maybe already would have yeah know, yeah been absolutely doing the, doing the whole the round of the invoice round when you when you say you grew organically when you did were you always very ambitious the pair of you from the start did you was this always going to be mo- were you growing something more than a salary for you both when you oh, set a- up? absolutely absolutely I mean for, for years uh, you know uh, because we'd worked
1: together supporting each other's businesses we talked about you know setting up a business together and had all sorts of various ideas but no there was no um you know, I get asked this question quite a lot, and I I can't say that in year one we expected to be you know twenty years later as we are now, um, because that was just you know that that horizon is just too far away. But we certainly knew that we had a very simple idea, and that we could make a massive impact, and um, our shared commitment was that we would be the very best at what we do and that we would in terms of that list I was talking about well, you know what would we want if we were a client working for Penny, we'd want to work with a company that has integrity that is honest and open about its pricing that offers the most extraordinary levels of service that offers great relationships with great people that keeps its promises all those kind of things and I actually think that that all of that was about us realizing the ambition of this idea that we had and it just always felt like it would work but only because of that commitment to our service um so our ambitions were always around being you know absolutely raising and challenging the standard in terms of what we do and adding value to our clients businesses um and then the money the money came later you know yeah so we were, our ambition wasn't about money or about size of business it was about our service um and i really think that's the right way around i mean you know at the time we as i say we didn't know we just had this very strong shared value set mm. um which was all about service and i think that if our shared value set had been all about money we would have fallen yeah. over at the first hurdle
0: well it's interesting that isn't it because it's it's it it would have been It would have been, for many, the sell would have been, do you want to buy a telephone answering service because you've got a problem and we've got a solution. It sounds to me that you went in selling a set of promises that you could hand on heart deliver because that's what your ambition was, to pull off those those promises.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, And also what was really important was that we, in those in those early days, you know, Ed and I were looking after the calls, you know, we were speaking to our clients, and we realised that our clients want that relationship, you know, they didn't want, they, and we all know that we all buy from relationships, don't we now, you know, and that our clients wanted to know who the person was looking after the calls, whatever, so we decided to be even more transparent about how we worked, and would say, yes, you know, here is you know, one of our first employees is Lynn. You know, she's still with us today. And you'd say, okay, so Lynn will look after the majority of your calls. We'd love to look after all your calls, but she's not going to be able to. But actually, when she's not here, that will overflow to her teammate, Jen. Or, you know, so we're really transparent. The clients, the clients go, yeah, that's great. I get that. You know, whereas if we'd actually made the promises, yes, you know, this one person is going to look after 100% of your calls, we're just going to fail. But I think it's like being very, just saying, we are going to do this to the very best of our ability, and we're going to be completely transparent with you in the way that we do it. And along the way, we're going to offer an amazing service to your clients, to your callers.
0: And those values, or those sets of promises, really um, that you made to to your clients. I mean, I've had the pleasure of going to Money Penny and, and meeting some members of your team, and I'm and that's why I was keen to talk to you today because for me you're a very different type of business because those values translate very much internally and I, and I know that you the environment that you provide to the people who work at Money Penny is an environment of integrity of a place where people feel safe and secure and nurtured and are able to uh, able to thrive, really, because they they feel that they're part of something quite special. And um, I know that you've got some extraordinary stories of how people almost have adopted your values and how they're living them through the roles that they play within Moneypenny. For me, as an outsider looking in, I can't separate the business from you because those values that you have just described Having from the very beginning, have impacted every element of the business from what I can see as well. And um, um, do you do you think that is part of a big important part of why money penny has been a success and why people enjoy working there? Absolutely,
1: but you know Ed and I
0: weren't clever enough to think that
1: that you know we weren't. It wasn't anything we did deliberately. You know, in terms of the, we weren't clever enough to do that. But I think that in today's world, people can be clever enough to do that because we re- there's much more conversation about how people thrive when they are trusted, when they um, are given opportunity, when they are supported. Um, so, yeah, so we 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 just did – we were so committed to this idea. You know, we were working a gazillion hours a week and we, we did, had done every job within the business. So anybody that was joining us, they knew that we knew exactly what you know, where their pain was, where their joy was, all all those kind of things. Um, but I think a lot of it does come down to trust and and who who is the most important person in the business. And so I am very clear, or we are very clear, that Ed and I, for a very, very long time, have not been remotely important to the business. The most important people in our business are the people who are looking after our clients' calls and live chat. Um, because you know, the minute one of our team is already on a call or already on a chat, she's not available to her client. The minute, so there's a real balance of that availability for our clients. Um, the minute one of our, you know, team is on holiday or on a sick day or whatever that affects our clients. Um, and if I can trust somebody to take one call on behalf of one of our clients, then that is the biggest, the biggest thing I can entrust anybody within, you know, in the world really. Um, because that is exactly what we do. We are only as good as our last call or our last live chat. And so therefore we have to, or we've had to create an environment in which everybody is trusted and knows that they are trusted and that they really know what good looks like and what we expect of them and that we wouldn't have them within our four walls if we didn't think that they were capable of of, of achieving all of that and more. Um, so, so, you know, I think that's a really... Um, I think we've, you know, undoubtedly we've created something quite special, um, but but I do think it comes down to that that trust and who is important within within the organisation. And I hope that you know, I know you've been to Penny Lindsay. I hope that as soon as you walk in, you know that that building is not built for for us. It's built for our. It's not built for our clients even, It's built for our our team who walk through our doors every single day and who have got a really tough job. You know, to be bright and confident and capable for. 250 300 people you know different people a day is really hard <laughs> you
0: know? and it's on the point of the building is built for them it's an extraordinary building I mean you've got a tree house you've got the most incredible facilities and you know in fact you when I walked in it's almost I mean it sounds it sounds I, I, I don't I can't even describe it you walk in and you're almost greeted with this sort of wall of happiness it's you know everybody is happy <laughs> there you know and the place is looks amazing but everyone's just happy to be there and that's really unusual you know it's it, I, I walk into a lot of buildings and I, I don't think I've ever experienced that before really yeah I mean, it, it sounds all a bit sort of la la doesn't it but
1: but actually I think what it, it comes down to many things and, and um you know I think we've been uh, extraordinary well that in terms of growing it um, they it's been great because what we've been able to do is actually recruit people on attitude and not just on aptitude so actually we're looking for people who want to make each day better so we're not looking for you know cookie cutter people we're looking for people who you know or, or, well you know our teams come from a million different backgrounds doing a million different things and and have a million different interests but actually they all share Something which is actually they want to make the world a better place in some way. So we're recruiting really positive individuals, and I think they all add up to create a sum that's greater than the you know, a whole that's greater than the sum of the parts.
0: So, really, that leads me on to what another thing I want to talk to you about, which is We Mind the Gap, um, which is an incredible foundation that supports underprivileged young women. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our in our local communities
1: my biggest joy at MoneyPenny was seeing our team members of our team join us and then amaze themselves of what they were capable of achieving with a bit of support and i think that that to me is a very simple joy and a very simple thing um but then you know i just got to think well why you know everybody at MoneyPenny has actually been able to walk through our doors clutching their cv you know um but there are so many people out there who aren't ready to walk through any employer's doors through no fault of their own. Um, and, you know, and I really believe through work comes good stuff. So I just, it, it was a natural thing for me to think, well, what about bringing the kind of support that we, we give to our money penny team to so a different cohort in our local community? Um, and my natural, you know, to, to look at um, young women um, in Wrexham, which is where we've set up our, you know, where Moneypenny is, is based, um who haven't had the best had the best start in life. So so actually we mind the gap starts off as a very simple idea, which is what would happen if we gave less advantaged people, um you know, people who absolutely deserve new opportunities, if we gave them a bit of support. Um, because just to see what some of our young women have achieved with a bit of love and care and support is just humbling. And actually it makes me realize that what we do at Money Penny is completely holistic as well. And we recognise that that there are if stuff's going on at home that isn't worked out, it's going to affect work. If stuff's going on at work that's worked out, it's going to affect stuff at home. That there's a very blurred line between the two. And that actually, and these are all very big buzzwords for now, aren't they? It's all about authenticity and the whole person. Um and that actually we we are who we are 24 hours a day, and we just need to we need all the support and care, especially now to be the very best versions of ourselves 24 hours a day. And basically, I think that the system that we all live in, that we all operate in has really good intentions and it's got great ambitions. But I think that actually the way in which the system is delivered to the people who rely on it doesn't work because it gets the small things wrong and so you know my personal belief is that we we is that yes the only way that we can actually think big and realize big ambitions is if we get all the small things right so with money penny it's making sure that every last telephone call every last live chat is handled superbly um within we we mind the gap it's about making sure that every single one of our our young people you know that that if something terrible's happened that they get a phone call from us or that they get a hug from us, which is difficult in COVID times, isn't it? But that they, that they, that it's the small ways in which we demonstrate our care for the people around us that actually makes people feel cared for and makes, allows them to feel safe and able to do the best that they can do. Um, And yeah, so, so, so I think, you know, thinking big and acting small is a really important thing that, 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 I, I try and do personally, but also that we Money gap tries to do that, Money Penny tries to do. Um, and I think that the system, you know, especially right now, is 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 you know finding it impossible to do. Um
0: and, and that and that quality of, of like saying thinking big, but by basically getting the detail right throughout and maintaining the quality, that's obviously something that was the the, the corner has been the cornerstone of Moneypenny from the start. And um, with the so much so much um, focus, I think, in a in a in the world we live at is just grow, grow, grow. I think we lose a lot, don't we? If the if the focus is on the growth rather than the quality and the detail.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's all it's all in the detail, which is, you know, I'm not remotely detail driven and I find that quite hard, but it absolutely is, you know.
0: And for businesses at the moment, for business owners um, who are, you know, having a challenging time, let's face it, many of them are. And their their focus is, 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 is maybe trying to keep their businesses afloat or keep themselves profitable. What would your advice be to those people who are hitting, who are experiencing difficult times at the moment?
1: Oh, I mean, God, it's hard, isn't it? It's so hard at the moment. But I actually think that that we have to keep stepping into our customers shoes every single day because every day the world is shifting. And so people's expectations now are very different to what they were at the beginning of March and are very different to what they were, you know, six months earlier than that. And so as to survive, we need to be agile and we need to be nimble and we need to be able to change. Um, And the only way in which we can change is if our team comes with us. And the only way our team is going to come with us is if we trust them, because if we want to micromanage our team through this massive massive change but that, that's just not going to work you know we've, we've you know Moneypenny now we've got 700 people working from home um, you know nothing to do with me but our chief exec and our leadership team at Moneypenny managed to make that happen within two weeks and the reason they managed to make that happen was because our team all of our those 700 people already feel trusted to do the job that they're doing and they don't have to be micromanaged. So therefore, to say to them, "Okay, guys, let's see if we can make this work from home. We've never done this before," then actually everybody was on the same bus. You know, we all knew that we'd never done this before, and we needed to try. Whereas if we'd pretended, oh, we pretended, yeah, we, of course, this is no, this is no problem. Um, we're going to micromanage you," to we, you know, it, we would have just fallen over as an organisation. And so I think that that nowadays. We need to know what what do our customers want? And we have to know that that might be very different to, you know, a few months ago. Um, We also need to so we need to trust and we need to have people that we can trust within our organizations. And we need to be able to lead. Um, And again, this is all going to sound very buzzy and I don't mean it to. But we need to be able to lead with authenticity. We, We we cannot say we know all the answers because we really don't. But what we can say is actually, we're doing our best. Um, this is what we think is the right thing to do. Do you think this is the right thing to do? Um, and by the way, if you've got any ideas about how we can, we can you know, um, how we can change and flex to answer this situation, then please share them with us. You know, our the people who know what's, what's going on in our businesses are the people who are actually dealing with our customers on a day-to-day basis. It's not, you know... And, and most of our leaders in our organisations are not doing that. So actually, those people who are at the front line are more important than, than than
0: they ever were,
1: because they know what people need now.
0: If you were able to talk to your younger self twenty years ago, starting this off, what would you? What would you? What would your advice be to yourself now? Um, oh my God, that's a really difficult question. <laughs> what,
1: what would my, my advice would be to myself? My advice would be just do it um uh you know and i think that we did just do it but with a lot of agonies along the way i think i would well just in terms of the stuff that we've learned is it pays to be bloody minded if you know what you want do not stop at the first no go 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 until you find somebody who says yes and i can give you a load of examples like the, the most obvious example for us is that we were not allowed to be the banks refused to give us direct debit payment facility. They would now, but you know, it was a long time ago now. Um, and we actually went round all the banks, not once, but twice. And eventually RBS said, yes, you can have direct debit payment facility you know, your, that your customers can pay by direct debit. And it just transformed our business. It allowed us to change from chasing our clients for money to to finding new clients and and you know and improving our services for our clients and just allowed us to, to focus completely on a a completely different bit of the business which was fantastic um but we knew that but we had to really fight for somebody else to believe in us enough to give that you know that thing to us Um, and we were told to give up many times um so it's that and then also we've had some really shocking professional advice over the years and i think that we've always assumed that the there are advisors knew best and I think if I was doing this again, I don't think I know that if I was doing this again, I would speak to more advisors, I would invest more time in that. So, you know, we were given some shocking tax advice in the first instance, um, wasted loads and loads of money. And and it's just because we didn't understand what was going on. But but I think that the, the the key thing out of that is just don't be afraid of asking the stupid questions. There's always someone else in the room who's relieved you've asked the stupid question. Because A, they don't think it's stupid and then B, they everybody
0: understands better. Yeah. Absolutely. Rachel, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you about your journey over the last 20 years. Thank you for sharing it with me today. And I know that there'll be a lot of what you've said will will chime with a lot of people in terms of, you know, you've been through it, you've been through it, you've, you've grown something incredible from something very incredibly small. So thank you for sharing your, your, your story and your journey with us. It's really much appreciated. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of In Conversation with Seriously Motivated Entrepreneurs. I'm on a bit of a mission to provide help and support to small businesses, as well as my podcast, I'm working hard to provide lots of helpful and practical advice to help small businesses get really good at business development and marketing, from free masterclasses and cheat sheets to downloadable guides and consultancy sessions. If you would like to access this information, it's all available on my website, agnesmarketing.co.uk. And if you'd like to join our Facebook community, of other small businesses looking to access and share marketing advice, tips and support, please search for Agnes Marketing on Facebook. And would you mind if I ask you something? If you've liked what you've listened to today, can you please rate, review and subscribe to this podcast as it will help other business owners to find it and it might just provide the inspiration and motivation they need at this moment in time. Thanks so much.